Amen, amen. Awesome, awesome. How's everybody? Is everyone good? Everyone had a good week? Five or six Sundays left, or five Sundays left. One, two, five Sundays left, I think. Not long. Not long. Christmas is in six weeks. <laughs> oh no, presents, presents. <laughs> Christmas is in six weeks. Um, we were encouraged this morning by um, one of the brothers, Mona, and he shared about um, the, a verse in the scripture where it basically says, don't stop doing good. Continue, keep pushing through, keep doing good. And so, like, when it comes to this end, end of the quarter of the year, it's where when people get weary. People get, oh, I just want this year to be over, but we don't stop doing good. We keep pressing in. We keep leaning to God. And I pray that in this moment that we're leaning to the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning on our last two fruits that we're going to open up. Um, but have you, um, over the last, I think, six, seven weeks, have you learned stuff about the fruit of the Spirit? Has it helped you grow? In? Like, has it helped you grow in your relationship with Jesus? Because to me, like, I've grown, I've learned, but I've also been challenged by the fruits. Challenge in a way where it's uncomfortable, but you know you need it. Have you, have you, do you feel like that in Scripture? Like, you know it's God, but it's uncomfortable, and you don't want to go through it, but you know you have to go through it. So you have to, like, just push in and lean into Jesus. And um, that's what it's been like for me when going through the fruit of the Spirit, is that I've been learning, growing, but being challenged about our walk with Jesus. And, and what I've realized over the last seven weeks when we've been going through this is that we need Holy Spirit so much that we can't do life without Him. Like you can do life and not live life to the fullest, or you can do life with Holy Spirit and live life to the fullest. Because Christ says that He will give us life, life abundantly, but the abundance is only re- like keyed in with Holy Spirit in your life. We can't live abundantly without Jesus, and without Holy Spirit in our lives, and um, that's what I've been challenged with over the last six, seven weeks, is that Holy Spirit is not a maybe, a Holy Spirit is a must, because Jesus said, before I go, I want to send you a helper, and with that helper, he's going to comfort you, but he's also going to correct you, he's going to be with you, he's going to not leave you as orphans, but you're going to be sons, you're going to be heirs of the kingdom, and he said, I want to send one. Because it's going, you're going to do greater works than I when he comes, so I have to leave. So Holy Spirit is not for anyone's benefit but yours and ours. Our benefit. We benefit from Holy Spirit in our life. Do you agree? Amen. You're right? Everyone right? So today we're going to be um, just tying off the, the, the Fruit of the Spirit series with the gentleness and self-control. And as with every other Fruit of the Spirit that we've been going through, we're going to talk about the dictionary version or the world's version of view of a word, and then we're going to look at the biblical meaning of that word. So I've got it behind me. So we're going to go through gentleness, the first fruit. Gentleness. So in the Oxford Dictionary, if you just put gentleness meaning in Google, you'll end up with this. The quality of being kind, tender, and mild-mannered, as we've, saying, we've said all, like, all the time, that's good. That is amazing. 
We should be that. We should be kind. We should be tender. We should be mild-mannered. And with this, what we've discovered with the dictionary version or the words version is that you don't need Holy Spirit to do this. People can be kind. I know many kind people who don't know Christ. Sometimes kinder than the church. Oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> sorry, guys. But this is truth. I've met a lot of tender people, mild-mannered people as well, gentleness. We can't argue with this definition, but this is done on our own strength. We can do this on our own strength. So let's look at the contrast version, which is the Word of God, the meaning of gentleness. What is the fruit of gentleness? So in the Greek, gentleness is derived from the word meekness which means gentle strength, which expresses power with reserve and gentleness. The next one? There's a next one? No, next one? Okay. So with the gentleness within the word, it basically means gentle strength. Not gentle pushover, not gentle get, be written over like a, like a man on the carpet, but gentle strength. Because often when we think about the word gentleness, we often think about passivity or um, weakness, being gentle, being weak. But true gentleness is the opposite. It takes a lot of strength and self-control. I was wondering why self-control and gentleness was together, because I realized with gentleness, you need self-control. Because um, with gentleness, gentleness needs a lot of strength. And you might be going, how does gentleness need a lot of strength? Let's go back to the Word, because the Word should answer itself. In John, verse, or John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, you probably know this story, but I'm going to read it. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. He brought pastors, back in the time they were called Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. And in very fact, now Moses in the law commands us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This is what Moses say. This is the, this is the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders talking to Jesus. This is what Moses says. What do you say? And Jesus turns around and says this, they said, testing him, that they might have, so, have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. I've always wanted, um, this is one of the questions I want to ask Jesus. Hey, like, anyone else in here want to ask Jesus, what did you write there? Because no one knows. No one knows. Everyone has their own view of what he wrote, but no one knows. I'm, I'm curious, what was he doing with his finger to the ground? Like, it just doesn't make sense. But Jesus is a person that doesn't make sense because he profounds us. That's who he is. Um, he stooped down and wrote something on the ground with his finger, and though he did not hear, 
So verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised him, himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then again, he stooped down and wrote again. Everyone talks about him stooping down once, but he actually stooped down twice to write whatever. Just use your imagination. He wrote something. And then verse 9, he says, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself and saw no one but the woman, he said to the woman, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In this picture, this shows a picture of gentleness, and I want to explain that in a minute. I'm just going to put this on flight mode. But can we go to verse, let's go verse 3 of that scripture. I'm going off, off topic for a minute. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought, him, brought to him a woman caught in um, adultery, and when they had set her in the midst. And then go to verse 4. And then said to him, teacher, this woman has, was caught in adultery in the very act. I put this question down. How do you get caught in adultery? By someone peeking. How do, how, do you, how do you get caught? Because when people are committing this sin, they're not doing it out in the open. They're doing it in private, away from people, which means their accusers were peeking at this woman somewhere to be caught in the act. And I put it, I put it like this. There will always be people in your life that will peek in your life to trip you up. These religious leaders must have waited till she came into the act of committing sin. And I was thinking over the scripture, like, apart from gentleness, is that there will be people who will peek in your life who will try to trip you up. But don't get caught up with the peekers in your life. Be caught up in Jesus. Because you know what? There will always be people who are going to trip you up or try to trip you up in your Christian walk with God. There will always be peakers in your life. You may be doing so well in the Lord, but they see one thing, peak. Like, ah, you're not a Christian, you did this. There will always be peakers in your life. And I want to encourage us as a people, as the body of Christ, is that there will always be peakers. But don't be worried and caught up in the peakers, but be caught up in Jesus who forgives all sin. Are we okay? Okay, but what we see in here in the story is a group of Christians, pastors, not knowing what gentleness is. The thing with gentleness, when you lack gentleness, you are frequently arrogant. When you lack gentleness, you're quickly irritated. When you lack gentleness, you're motivated by the desire of retribution. I want to pay you back. When you lack gentleness, 
you're frequently arrogant, you're quickly irritated, but you're always motivated by a desire to get someone back. These so-called followers of God wanted to trip Jesus up in the story. And Jesus is always wise in moments like this. His whole ministry, the Pharisees tried to trip him up, but for some reason he was always ahead. Why? Because he had Holy Spirit, like, you know, talking to him. All the people holding stones against this woman were people who felt they were better than her. But for us as believers to be gentle, listen to this, we must not think of ourselves as superior to others. Because if you, the moment that we think that we're superior than another is when we lack gentleness. Because someone who is gentle wants to help others. And someone who's gentle won't um, assert superiority. Won't assert, like, just because I'm a pastor, I won't assert superiority. Why? Because it's not gentleness. Look at the world today. There's always asserting of power. You would push anybody down just to get to the purse or to the goal that you wanted to go. You want to become the CEO of this company? How many people do I have to push down to get to the CEO uh, place? And with this, all the people holding stones in this story, in, in John, were people who felt they were better than her. But Jesus comes around and says, whatever on the ground, not only shows love, but also shows gentleness and says, he who has not sinned, cast the first stone. And then one by one, people started leaving because they knew they were actually not better than her. They were the same as her, but just in private. In 2 Timothy, it says this, in verse, uh, chapter 2, 24 to 25, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. What does all mean? All. What does the Hebrew me meaning of all mean? All. Able to teach, patient, and humility, correcting those who are in, in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. With the story, they didn't show gentleness because they started accusing. But what does Timothy say? Do not quarrel, but be gentle. Be patient with humility correcting who? The oppos opposition, the person who is sinning or the person who's doing something wrong. But he says it to do it with gentleness. Why? Because gentleness leads to repentance. Because it says God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may know the truth. Today in the society that we live in, the one thing I don't like is Facebook. Facebook is probably my least favorite thing in the world, especially when it comes to Christian things. There's so many arguments online about what people believe. And if, if someone believes opposite, they start attacking their belief system. But what does the Bible say? Be gentle to all, so what? They come to repentance that they know the truth who is the true Messiah, which is Jesus. It's not about winning the argument, but it's winning them to Jesus, because that's gentleness. Gentleness will always lead to repentance. Gentleness will always lead somebody to Jesus, because gentleness is a spirit. It's a fruit. 
It's, it's God-given. It can't be earned. It can't be, I can't work at it. I have to have Holy Spirit to have gentleness. So when Paul is saying to be gentle to all, who does he mean? All. I put it like this. God doesn't need to be defended. Can I say that again for anyone in here? God does not need to be defended. He needs to be displayed. The one thing I know that I see within the church, I'm not talking about just Hills Church, I'm talking about the body of Christ, is that we lack gentleness. God wants us to be gentle and have humility when correcting opposition in hopes they come to know Jesus. Gentleness, when you display gentleness to your children, it's not about forcing Christ onto them, but it's about displaying Christ to them so one day they will know who Christ is in their life. But that doesn't just apply to our children. It, just, it applies to every aspect of our life. In our workplace, we apply gentleness in hopes they come to know Christ. In hopes. Choosing gentleness points to Jesus. Choosing to be right points to pride and self-righteousness. The church lacks gentleness because they are trying to be right and think they're doing a favor for God. Can I say that again? This is the honest truth. I've been in the church a long time and I've been in leadership a long time and I've realized that the church lacks gentleness because they're trying to be right or think that God needs a favor from us. He doesn't need a favor. He needs our life. He doesn't need to be defended. Be defended. Like, I know, like, don't get me wrong here. Like, it's important to have God's name in Parliament and that, right? Like, when they took Jesus' name out, yeah, I understood. With all my brothers and sisters who had their, rah, 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 I understood what they mean. But I'm like, but there's no power when they say Jesus because there's nothing in them to have power. When they say Jesus' name, there's no power in that when they say that in Parliament. Because when, they, when you work the name of Jesus, it's done by the Spirit. It's not done by a person who doesn't know him. We're trying to win arguments in today's um, world, but I believe the church just needs to display Jesus, and as we display Jesus, gentleness gets given, and people get pointed to Jesus, not to a church, but to Jesus, where they choose to come to repentance or not. That's their choice. But the church has to display gentleness so that Jesus can be displayed. And I believe God wants us to be people who live by the fruit of gentleness. I see it like this. The church needs to be more gentler. What is that a word, gentler? It's now a word. The dictionary of Hills NZ. The, the church needs to be more gentler. Yeah, that's a word. In her approach to the word, to the world. The church, like us, we are a church, right? This building's not the church. We are the people who are the church. We need to be gentler or gentle in our approach to the world. 
whenever I see Christ within Gospels A, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every time you see him, I don't know, man. Like, it makes, I'm just like wowed by Jesus. Like, how do you do it? Like, it makes me like, wow. Have you ever read the Bible? You're like, how'd you do that? Like, you say that we can do what you do, but sometimes I'm like, how do you do it? Because in this moment, you should be angry. You could send them to hell right then. If you really wanted to, Lord, you could send them. You could send all heaven's angels to come and invade all of them and start again. But he was gentle in his approach. I think I said it here, or I don't know where I said it, but if God could have restarted the world if he wanted to. Have you ever thought about it? Like, why don't you just start again? Like, they, they stuffed up. So can we start again? Can we have a redo? Can we take it again? But God's like, no, I want to be gentle in my approach and help you through this. But he could have started again. We didn't have to go through all this mess, but he's like, then, then why would I keep restarting everything every time you get it wrong? Because then there'll be no learning. And with gentleness, he, he actually applied gentleness in the Garden of Eden. He didn't have to clothe them. He didn't have to give them everything they need to get out of there. No, he just, I'm going to be gentle to you. Yes, you're going to be cursed to the ground. Yes, the woman and the womb. Yes, all that things. Yes, but God was still gentle to mankind, even when we sinned against them. So can I encourage us with, the, with gentleness? that we need to be people who live life gentle, with meekness. We need gentleness in this world. We live in a world that's full of hatred. We live in a world that is full of anxiety, depression. We live in this world where people feel like they're not loved. And if the church way to combat that is to go, la, 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 you need to go to church, you need to go have a relationship with Jesus, people will never come to know Jesus. But if the church operates in herself in this place of gentleness, gentleness will lead people to repentance automatically. We had the... What do we have here? The block party. Who was here for the block party? Anyone here for the block party? The block party, we had close to six to 800 people come in here. On uh, Halloween night, we had a block party. We had six to 800 people come through this building that night in the span of two hours. And the one conversation I keep hearing when walking around is they're like, I can't believe a church did this. I keep hearing, like, I can't believe a church did this. Did a church really do this for free? Because the church has made herself known to the world as something so wrong and something so, like, you have to be perfect to be in her. But the one thing I realized that night is that our community needs Jesus and our community needs this church, but we need to be gentle in our approach to the world. When I saw kids running through, I saw families having fun, it broke my heart, but it also excited my heart on the possibility that the, each and every one of person that came to these doors could be saved and come to know Jesus. 
We didn't, we didn't, I, I think one of the, someone told me about, um, I can't remember who spoke to me, but they're expecting us to promote our Sunday service to them, right? Because it's a church event, and they are expecting us to promote our church uh, event on Sunday, saying, hey, we've got Sunday church this week, but we didn't do any of that. And I can't remember who talked to me about it, um, but they said to this person, oh, no, it's not, it's not about promoting Sunday, it's about just blessing our community. And in that, I saw the fruit of the Spirit activated all areas. We saw love. I saw gentleness. I saw God's faithfulness. Because we've been in this building for, what, six, seven months? And God was faithful to do His thing, even though we didn't preach Jesus, even though we didn't have a, a, a little PowerPoint for people to know Jesus, but they knew Jesus through the way we displayed Him. We didn't have to argue our way to them. We didn't have to do anything else other than display Jesus. And all I could see was gentleness. We as a church, we as a people need to ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, can you help me be gentle in the world that we live in? Because trust me, it's not, it's not normal and it's hard to be gentle in the world that we live in. It's hard to be hum have humility in the world that we live in. It is hard to, if someone does something against you, you want to get them back and repay them. It is hard to not do something. But with gentleness, we don't want to repay evil with evil, but good with evil. Are we okay? So can I ask us, and if you can ask yourselves to go, Holy Spirit, can you lead me in the fruit of gentleness each and every day? Because it's not for pastors, it's not just for leaders, but it's for the people who call themselves saints. So let's allow Holy Spirit to be active in our lives each and every day to display gentleness. Gentleness in your workplace. Gentleness when you're driving the car. Hello? Anyone, any, any uh, angry people when they're driving the car? <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> gentleness in the supermarket. Gentleness um, when you go out somewhere. Gentleness everywhere because gentleness has to be displayed at all places at all times. And we are carriers of gentleness. Are we okay? Yeah. The final fruit, self-control. Before I go to the meaning, I want to ask you a question. When you think about self-control, do you have a thought in your mind of something that you need to be better in self-controlling? Yeah? Like, if you go, self-control, oh, yeah, this is the area that I need to improve on with self-control. If, if you did, it's normal. Like, it could be whatever, whatever reason. But self-control in the dictionary version is the ability to control oneself, in particular, one's emotion and desires, especially in difficult situations. Yeah? Everyone agree with that? Let's go to the biblical version. The Greek word ekratia, which is self-control, is derived from two Greek words, N, E-N, this word here, N and kratos. N means in, and kratos means strength or power. The Bible typically refers to self-control as temperance, meaning self-restraint or moderation. Self-restraint or moderation. When people think about self-control, they think completely stopping. 
But there's some self-control where there needs to be moderation. The thing about this with the word's meaning of self-control and the world's meaning is that the Western culture believe that true freedom means no boundaries. When you have boundaries, it means that you're holding me in. But the world believes that you have to get rid of all the boundaries to have true freedom. And we live a time where boundaries is bad, and it means that you're trying to hold me back. Have you ever felt like that, boundaries? No? No one's felt like that? Whenever there's boundaries over your life, or someone puts boundaries around you in your workplace, or in your life, you feel like they're holding you back. But with the Word of God, with boundaries, the Word of God is clear on what boundaries do, or does. In Proverbs, it says this, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit or who has no self-control is like a city broken down without walls. Let me say that again. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit or have rule over, his, or over self-control is like a city broken down without walls. See, the thing with back in the ancient world, strong and fortified walls around a city was required. It kept the outsider oppressors, oppressors, the, the enemies. It kept them outside. In ancient times, having a war covering the city wasn't a bad thing, but it was a great thing. People could live in freedom without fear that the enemy was outside the walls. Are you following me with, with the city? So living out the fruit of self-control is like the city with walls. To the world, it looks like boundaries to contain you, but in fact, it's for your protection to continue living in true freedom and not being bound by sin. Self-control is like a war, fortified city around you. Living a life without self-control, with a broken, broken war or broken city, will always lead you to death and sin. Self-control is so important. It's like a city with walls. The moment we don't operate in self-control is like a city without walls, and everything beyond the war will try to attack you. Having no wall or self-control allows you to be defenseless, listen to this, defenseless against fleshly passions, rage, and other uncontrollable emotions that will destroy you. The one big thing I see, especially within the men, not hill, not hills, men, okay? Just men in general. I've just noticed like a lot with men. Anger is a huge thing. Anger. When a man has no wall of self-control. Anger consumes them to do things you couldn't even imagine. I don't know what your, what your thing is, what you've struggled with before, but if you don't have self-control, like a wall of self-control around you, the very thing will consume you and you will be led not only to sin, but to a place where you don't want to be in. 1 John 2, 16. This is quite a harsh scripture, this one. It's like 
quite in your face. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes from the world. Each and every human on this world is facing a battle with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life because it comes from the world, not the Father. Self-control allows us to not be ruled by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Like the world's version of pride, don't follow your emotions. I mean, not pride. <laughs> um, what was the fruit? Self-control. Don't follow your emotions. But with the word of God, on the how, they, how the word of God explains it, it says, build yourself a wall of self-control so that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life don't consume you. Because every person in here will be facing these three things. It's part of the world we live in. The enemy, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. When you think of Jesus' temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you look at when Jesus went into temptation after he got baptized, he faced those three things. If Jesus faced it, we face it. But the one good thing that we have today is Holy Spirit where Holy Spirit helps us with self-control, where it's like a wall in a fortified city. This is what the world's throwing at us every day. You can't escape it, and you cannot deny it. It's just part of the world. But you know what? God has a higher calling for each and every one of us, one that is not of this world. We may be in this world, but we're not of this world, one that is spirit-led. And the thing with self-control what I've realized when going through scripture, the thing with self-control doesn't mean just saying no. It's not just about saying no to things. I've realized this in scripture, self-control the spirit gives is one that helps you say no to the flesh, but it also, listen, helps change your appetite for the things of the world. Self-control not only helps us to say no to things, but it helps us to change our appetite. So before we are longing and having an appetite for the world, having self-control allows us to long for the things of God, allows us to be hungered for righteousness. Because you can't normally be hungered for righteousness if you don't have anything in you to hunger. Because Matthew 5, 6 says this, Blessed are those who hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, we don't naturally hunger and thirst for righteousness as it's a complete opposite to our human nature. But with self-control, a war-fortified city, it actually helps us to thirst and hunger for righteousness. Why? Because we've been leaning into God and allowing the things of the flesh not come into the zone. Yeah, doesn't allow us to come in here. Self-control is not just saying no, but it's about changing your appetite. Are we okay? Jesus expressed self-control throughout his old ministry. 
He could have chosen not to be crucified. Do you know, do you remember when Jesus was on the, on the cross? They're like, hey, tell your angels to come get you. Get them off. If you're really the son of God, get down from there. But God expressed self-control. Even though he could, but he expressed self-control. Why? Because he understood, it's not my will, Lord, but your will be done. He was just dying to himself. Jesus could have stopped the temptations of the devil after being baptized, but he had self-control. Every time the enemy attacked him, saying, change this rock to bread, what he did was put a fortified city, and what did he do? He answered back by the word. I don't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Like He literally spoke the word back to the enemy because he was building this wall of self-control in this moment. And you'll notice throughout all the, the fruits of the Spirit, you'll notice that Jesus displayed all of them at all times. He was that perfect. For us, we need to also display that at all times. But some comes out more than others because there'll be moments in your life where you need to love more than anything else. Have you been in moments where you have to love more? There'll be moments in your life where you have to have more self-control. There'll be moments in your life where you have to be more faithful. I notice that Christians, because I've done it many times and I still do it, is that in times of need, I push into God's faithfulness like never before. When I'm struggling through things, I push in God's faithfulness. God, your word says this. God, your promises say that because he's faithful. But the thing with self-control it's not just a moment thing, but it's an everyday thing. We need self-control each and every day. We can't pick and choose self-control. We have to live life like a fortified city around us. Not only just to protect us, but protect every person around us. I know if I gave into sin, gave in a way where my life used to be, my family wouldn't be where I am today. If I gave into sin... And if I gave in to the fleshly desires that is not of me anymore, but used to be, I wouldn't even be preaching today. If you know Pastor Darren's story, before he got to New Zealand, you'll know he shouldn't be here today, but he is. If you know like Dave and Andrew's story, like if you know people's story, you start realizing, oh my goodness, it only could be God. You know what else Jesus had self-control on? Doing stuff here on earth. We're talking about the creator of heaven and earth being on earth. And he didn't do everything, but he could have. There was restraint in what he did and what he did not do. Everything that he did, he says, I'm only saying what the Father says to me. I'm only gonna do what the Father tells me to do. Anything of his own desire, he pushed away and said, I'm only listening to what the Father says. He even had restraint in his miracles that he performed here. And if Jesus had restraint in his life, don't you think we as his children will need restraint? 
Self-control doesn't stop you to be doesn't stop you to be better. It actually grows you to be the better God version of you that God called you to be. And I want to encourage us this morning, as we finish off the series, that we need gentleness in our life because gentleness will always lead to repentance. And with that, with gentleness, it will show Christ in our life. But then we also need self-control in our life. We need to be, have restraint in some areas in our life. And if you feel like this morning, like, oh, man, if we can, can we go back to that? Um, the verse in Proverbs? Put Proverbs 25. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit or have rule over self-control is like a city broken down without wars. If that's you, you're like, man, I'm like a city with broken walls. A prayer is not going to change that, but a decision will. Coming up to altar won't build your walls up <laughs> to have this self-control, but saying to God, God, can you help me with self-control? That it's like a city without broken walls. So that when I face life, Things of my past don't consume me anymore. Why? Because you've got a city with walls. Things that you've struggled with in your past doesn't consume you anymore because of self-control. There's a city with walls around. It's not stopping you. It's not putting boundaries on you. It's actually protecting you and everything that's attached to you. Boundaries is good. Self-control is good. But we have to lean into Holy Spirit to go, can you help me with self-control? You know how it says, uh, off, off the cuff, like, you know how it says um, self-control also means moderation? I think, is it gluttony? When you eat excessively, Gluttony is a sin. When you eat excessively, just keep eating, eating. Self-control fortifies you. We, th we think that we don't treat, like we think food's food. But when we treat food as the cure for all things in our life. You know how people like, when, they, when you watch movies and they have breakups, and the first thing they do to, is go to ice cream. <laughs> or go to a chocolate. You know, like, that's close to gluttony, you know? Like, that's, 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 that's you saying, ice cream is going to cure my brokenness. You know, food. But it's about having moderations. There's some things in your life that you need to say completely no to and cut it off. But then there's other things that you need to go, I need to take this in moderation. Because it's self-control. Because when you don't take it in moderation, it'll lead you to sin. What, what, the only thing I can think of is alcohol. There's so much things about alcohol in the body of Christ. Everyone says no, everyone says yes. When it comes to smoking, no, yes, no, yes. All I can say is that if you are convicted not to smoke or drink, then don't do it. 
Because if you still do it and you're still convicted, that means you're sinning and knowing that you sin. But if you have no conviction about all things, that's your thing. That's what God's journeying you through it. But I think about this because I see this in pastors. Pastors? Pastors? Is that I've been in circles, a lot of pastors' circles, and um, especially in public, they're real excessive drinkers. And to me, I'm like, there's no self-control. Because I've been in that place too. We had no self-control. And what happens is that I actually destroy a wall that protects me, and now everything's going to come and attack me. It happens with pastors a lot. There's so many pastors leaving churches because of no self-control. Whether you realize it or not, there's pastors in America, Australia, all getting away from church, either getting kicked out or either, either going into like sexual sin or excessive drinking, whatever it may be, because there's no self-control. And if pastors go through it, I'm just like, the body of Christ is going to go through it. It's not just for pastors, it's for everybody. If there's things in your life that you need to be in moderation, change it today. You don't have, there's things in your life that you have to have in moderation, yes, 100%. But there's some things in your life that you have to say completely no to. Because whoever has no rule over, his, over self-control is like a city broken down without wars. Don't be a city without broken wars. But walk out life with boundaries, with self-control, so that it protects you and it protects the God in you as you walk through life. So I want, to, I want us to repeat after this as we close our eyes. And just repeat this prayer as we finish up. They say, Jesus, all together. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come into my life afresh. I don't want to be the same. I want to be changed. I want to be more like you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. I ask you to teach me to grow in the fruit of the Spirit that I may become the person you designed me to be. I receive that this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. All God's people say amen. Amen, amen. Give God a hand. <laughs> I'll pass it off to Pastor Darren.